Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipfandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. We're going to take one of these psalms each week and try to model and, and look at mainly David, we may look at some others, how he did his personal time alone with the Lord, so to speak. So we don't know for sure when Psalm 25 was written. Uh, it's highly likely that it was written when he was on the run from Absalom, his son, who was trying to kill him and take over the kingdom. And so really, I think the perspective we need to have looking at this psalm is, what do you do when you're in situations when you have to make a really hard decision? Okay, that would be one way to look at this psalm. Or, what do you do when you're in a situation that's just hard? There's not necessarily a decision to make. It's just hard. It's overwhelming. And you really just don't know how to respond to uh, the hardship that God has ordained to bring into your life. So, three points today. Hope, obey, and pray. And one thing that's very interesting about this psalm, if you read it in the Hebrew, it's, it's what you call a broken acrostic. And what that means is... Every line starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if it was in English, it would be the first line starts with a word, an A word, the next with a B word. Except there's one that's missing. And that's probably, you know, some people say, well, maybe a verse got lost. It's much more likely that when David wrote it, he did that intentionally to say, that's often how we feel in life, isn't it? Even as followers of Christ. It's like, yes, I know that I have all I need for life and godliness. I believe that by faith. But it sure doesn't feel like that sometimes, right? A lot of times it feels like, yeah, God's given me a lot of information, but there's this one area over here, maybe something like called parenting, where it seems like he left something out that I really need to know. Maybe that's just me. All right, so let's look at what David has to say about that. The first point would be hope. Psalm 25, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth. Or my transgressions, according to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Now, he starts by very intentionally directing his attention to the Lord. This, this is so much of what good prayer and good meditation is, is metaphorically taking the eyes of your heart off of the situation that seems overwhelming and getting your eyes back onto the Lord on the throne. He's in control. He's loving. He's wise. He never fails. And it ought to bring a sense of calm and confidence in our soul. So David starts out doing that. He's saying, listen, all of my hope is in you, Lord. If you don't come through for me in this situation, I don't think I'm going to be able to figure it out on my own. I think that I will be overwhelmed. And then we see another thought kind of coming in. And I just want you to see if you can identify with this. I think that when you think about the hardest thing you've ever been through in your life, and especially when maybe you lack clarity about, Lord, what does faithfulness look like in this situation? Right, what's the next step I need to take? And you're praying about that. I think two of the ways that Satan will try to condemn us are two different thoughts that will go through our mind. One is, some version is some type of attack against God. 
And it might be maybe God's not really real. Most of us probably don't struggle with that. But here's where I think we do struggle. Maybe God's not quite as good as you really think he is. Maybe he's not quite as powerful. Or maybe, maybe, you know, maybe he just doesn't want to use his power to help you. You ever felt that way? Listen, I have a friend. Used to be an officer in this church. He's not any longer. Uh, but he got into some big bad sin and uh, was trying to repent. And myself and others were meeting with him. And, it, you know, there's a lot of shame. And in, in, in some sense, there should have been based on what he had done. But at one point I was talking to him and I was using the story of the prodigal uh, son to kind of encourage him. If you really come back in genuine repentance, the father's going to be there with open arms. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy had been a Christian since college. He said, I know the prodigal son. I've shared it with other people. People have been sharing it with me. He said, but let me just be really honest with you. Okay? Officer in Broadwood Church. He said, when I hear that story and I think about myself and the application, here's what goes to my mind. We'll see. We'll see. I know God treats some people that way, but is he going to treat me that way? Right? Listen, you can make an A-plus on the theology exam. And experientially, you can still have real doubt about, yeah, I know God treats other people. Another college student I was mentoring that grew up. Great church, great Christian school, right? Christian family, minister's family. And as he was talking to me, he said, yes, I believe God has personal relationships with people. I just don't believe he has a personal relationship with me. Why not? Because I've never experienced him that way. Our experience can often trump what we know up here. Can it not? Okay. So there can come in this doubt. Is God really as good as he says he is? Which, guys, that just goes back to Genesis 3. That was the first temptation that got the whole thing screwed up. But then here's the, other, the flip side of the same coin. Is sometimes it's like, maybe I'm just so sinful. <laughs> maybe I'm just so bad. Maybe I did something so dark, or maybe I did it for the thousandth time, that it's like, mercy's over. Right? Guys, just put yourself in David's shoes for a sense. If this is when he is running from his own son that's trying to kill him, and do you remember enough of what was said in 2 Samuel? After the adultery, after the murder, after the cover-up, when Nathan the prophet came to confront him, and he said, the Lord does forgive you, the Lord has taken your sin away, and yet there's going to be some terrible consequences. And one of them is, you're going to face wars the rest of your life, even from your own household. Listen, when God brings discipline into his people's lives, it's painful. It's not fun. And it's very easy under that discipline to start to doubt his good hand, right? How many of us, at some point, had a rebellious child, and you were spanking them fairly strongly, or maybe just disciplining them very strongly by taking away their iPhone or something. And they felt like, you must hate me to take away my iPhone. You're ruining my life. <laughs> and we know in my heart, you know, I'm doing what I really think is best for you. And yet to them, they feel like, you hate me. And we're tempted to think that way towards the Lord. And so I think that is what so much of David's prayer is about. God, and guys, doesn't this happen? You see in verse 7 what he says? When you're in real bad hardship, even if you're like, I'm doing better than I've ever done in my life spiritually. Satan is a master of saying, yeah, but remember what you did about 10 years ago? 
he's an expert of calling up the worst, the darkest sins, right? He's like, did I really repent enough? Did I really confess enough? Have I really been changed or is that still down in there somewhere deep and I'm going to do it again? You know, Martin Luther has this famous quote where he says, when Satan kind of reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future, right? You're going to hell in the end. By the grace of God, I'm going to win in the end. But there's also, I think this comes from Luther as well, it's like when Satan is reminding you of your past sins, you say, all those are true. And I could tell you about even more that you don't know about Satan. And yet the blood of Christ is stronger. And David is doing this in an Old Testament way, praying about this wrestling. Now, again, look in verse 4 and 5. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. He said, listen, you saved me. You adopted me. If you did all that for me, surely you want to help me in all these smaller things. And most of the decisions that we face in life are gray. And here's what I mean. There, there are a lot of good biblical principles that we ought to be well aware of. And when we are, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to ask advice. If you and your spouse are not getting along very well right now and you meet somebody at the office and you're getting along great with them, you don't have to say, well, God, would it be okay to have an affair just this once, right? God wrote it down in stone. Don't do it. Doesn't matter what you feel. Doesn't matter what you thought you heard in your prayer life. Doesn't matter what your buddy told you, right? It's just clear. But let's be honest. Nine times out of ten... That's not the kind of decisions we're struggling with, right? Should I have an affair, yes or no? It's much more nuanced type decisions. I mean, just in the parenting thing, like, how hard should I hit this kid this time? How many times should I spank them if hit is offensive to you, okay? And I don't spank my kids anymore. They're just not old enough. Hey, but what, what kind of punishment should I bring? What kind of discipline should I bring? When should I confront this employee at work? What they're doing is not scandalous. It's kind of gray, but it's right. I mean, so many of our decisions, they're gray and they're confusing. And that should be so much of our prayer life. God, I want to be faithful. I'm trying to hope in you. I'm trying to put all my confidence in you. I'm trying to follow you. It's just not always clear what obedience looks like in this very unique situation. (coughs) And, And hope is not just a feeling. In some sense, it's an action. Because I feel that God is real, God is good, God is worthy, I'm going to line my life up with him. But we need to beg God to give us the mercy and the insight. What do I do? One commentator said this, Trust is not naive nor self-confident. It is the right response to God's self-revelation. There is a naive type of faith. It just kind of closes its eyes to the pain and the hardship in life. Everything's going to be fine. Jesus is on the throne. It's like, that's true, but it might be a really bumpy ride. Right? I mean, the Bible is not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel book. But there can also be, on the other side, almost like this self-confident, kind of arrogant confidence that we have. I'm an expert in truth. I know everything. I'll get it right every time. That's not biblical. But there is a humble hope, a Christ-centered confidence that just says, hey, the Word of God tells me he's this good. It's shocking. The Word of God tells me that He's my God. That's really shocking. And yet, I'm going to respond to that self-revelation of God. And the response is a humble hope. A humble confidence. So, hope ought to be a big part of our prayer life. And a lot of times, again, even though you know the right answer, it takes time of prayer and meditation to stir up the feelings of hope. 
to stir up the feelings of confidence. Does that make sense? I mean, that's when you read Calvin on the Psalms over and over, he talks about stirring up your affections. Second point, obey. If you have genuine hope, it ought to lead to genuine obedience in your life. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. You see the confidence there? It's like, I know I'm a big, bad sinner, God. And yet, I know that that's the kind of people that you love to instruct. Verse 9, he leads the humble in justice. And he teaches the humble his way. God gives grace to the humble, but what's he do to the proud? He stiff arms them. He opposes them. He's against the proud. I love this verse. Verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. When by God's grace I'm doing all I can to walk in alignment with Him, whatever happens to me, I can be confident this is about God's love towards me, God's mercy towards me. Even if it's painful discipline that seems like it's killing me, it's best for me. Because that's just his nature. Verse 11. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. The ultimate ground of our prayer life is not, look how hard I'm trying, look how good I am. It has been 10 years since I committed a big bad sin. It's God... You're just a good God. You're just a merciful God. You just like to answer the prayers of sinners. I'm just, I'm calling in on your character, God. Do what you like to do. Verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. Now, the fear of the Lord sometimes can be a confusing concept. Okay? But here's the idea. Fear of the Lord is really maybe just another way, especially in the Old Testament, talk about humility and to talk about genuine faith. It's not going through the motions faith. It's a sincere faith. Like, this God is real. This God is in control. This God can do whatever He wants. This God is Yahweh. I am who I am. I don't have to explain myself. I do whatever I want. Don't fear man. Don't fear people. Don't fear circumstances. Do have ultimate respect for this deed. Verse 13. His soul, speaking of the one who trusts in the Lord, his soul will abide in prosperity. I don't want to get off on the whole prosperity gospel thing. I want to be gracious to them for just a minute because there are a lot of verses in the Bible. If you take them in just a literal wooden fashion, it kind of seems like, well, that sounds like God wants to make you happy and rich all the time. And he does in heaven. It's not in this life. But when you read stuff like this, what should you do? There is one type of prosperity the Lord does always want to give you. It's spiritual prosperity. He may not bless your, your health, your body, your bank account, your garage. Okay? If you're walking with Him, He will bless you spiritually in the worst of times, in the hardest of times, in the darkest times. And His descendants will inherit the land. Man, that's one of my favorite ones to pray. Right? God, I don't fully understand how all these covenant children promises work. If you got it 100% figured out, come and explain it to me. I remember asking Reverend Barker one time about the whole covenant children blessing. He said, well, don't quote me on this, but he's with the Lord now, so I feel free to quote him on it now. He said, it's kind of like a 90% promise. Okay, that, and listen, that's about the best explanation I've gotten in my 46 years of life. 
But I tell you what I do when I'm, when I'm dealing with a wayward child and I come across a verse like this, I'm like, hey, Lord, I don't fully understand what this means. But even if it's only 90% promise, I want to cash in on that 90% promise for this kid right now. I want this descendant of mine to inherit the land. But listen, you can pray with that kind of freedom and boldness, again, when your soul is resting in the goodness, the mercy, the power, the loving kindness of the Lord. And then verse 14, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him and He will make them know His covenant. He will make them experience His covenant. I mean, what does it mean, the secret of the Lord? It's almost like this. You've got to be careful how you say this. It's almost like when you're really walking closely with the Lord, He says, you know what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we're having a powwow over here. We're discussing some stuff. And we're going to let you listen in. No, you're not exalted. You don't get to sit in a circle. <laughs> but you get to come close by. You get to hear our secret counsel. There's intimacy. There's friendship. Do you remember when God was about to blow Sodom and Gomorrah off the map? What he said to his angels? How, how can I keep this thing from Abraham? Abraham's my friend. I want to let him know what I'm doing. Do you remember Jesus in the garden bearing his heart and soul to his three best friends, Peter, James, and John? I need you guys to stay awake and pray with me. I want you to, my, my soul is so sorrowful right now, I feel like I'm about to just die of the stress and the pressure. I share it with you. So I want to go just a little bit deeper in this whole idea of what, what does it really mean to fear the Lord, to have this kind of humility, to walk in covenant? Because sometimes we, again, this is another one of these concepts like, what does it mean to be in covenant with the Lord? Because in one sense, isn't it like unconditional? He just chooses me and there's nothing I have to do. I'm in covenant. But in another sense, it does seem like a lot of times there's something I'm supposed to do, but I know it's not about perfection, right? It's, it's not always as clear as we'd like it to be. Here's my best understanding. Four things. What does it mean to really walk in covenant with the Lord? The first thing is this. Repent. Confess. Ask for mercy of, of any and all sin that you know you've ever done. And by God's grace, pledge... By your grace, God, I'm going to do my best never to do that again. Right. Second thing, I got this from Tim Keller, but I think it's very helpful. Know the besetting sins of your hearts and how they are still prone to affect us. Know the sin that you're probably going to be the most tempted to do tomorrow. And don't be caught unaware. Be preparing, be praying. When I was little, my dad used to have a phrase that he would say to me. It was one of those things at first I didn't understand, and then I started to understand it, and I hated it. And it was one of those things that I probably said at some point. I'll never say that to my kids. And now I say it to my kids, and they didn't understand it. Now they do understand it, and they hate it still. But it's a good phrase. Here's a phrase. I'd make a mistake or something, you know. I'd accidentally be reckless in the kitchen and spill a glass of water all over something. And Why'd you do that, buddy? I'm, I'm sorry, Dad, I didn't mean to. He said, well, mean not to. You know, and you look... Mean, what does that mean? But but now I get it, right? It's like, be more intentional. Be more purposeful. Don't just accidentally keep making the same mistake. Be prepared so that you don't fall into the same sin in the context we're talking about. Be prepared. We ought to know. Okay? Um, <clears throat> third, just be obeying in every way that you know to do. Obey. If there's something God's impressing upon your heart, illuminating in the scriptures, obey. And then fourth, looking towards the future. And these are all really kind of the same, just from a different angle. Be fully surrendered about God. Whatever comes, 
Sometimes we're not presently in sin, so to speak, but there's like sin in the future that we're plotting. I got this big trip planned with my buddies back from college. Every time I go, they all drink too much. I drink a little too much. I'm not drinking right now. I want to walk with you, Jesus, but I would like to hold out July the 10th as a special day. Just, you know. And we don't pray that way. But, but deep in the basement of our heart, it's kind of like a thought, right? It's like, I'm going to pray about everything else. I'm just, I'm not praying about July 10th. Okay? I don't know if anybody has a trip on July 10th, right? It's just made up. If you do, maybe God's speaking to you. All right? Matthew Henry said this. To be humble means we are resolved to obey His guidance. Again, remember, the whole context of this is you're in a hard situation, a hard decision, and you don't know what to do. And I think that most of us, even as believers, here's the way we really pray. If like all the feelings and thoughts of our hearts and emotions were on full display, here would be our thought process. Hey, Father, will you please make it clear to me what you want me to do? And if I like it and agree with it, then I will do it. (laughs) Now, if one of your children came to you with that attitude, how would you feel? Especially, and I'm not talking about the grown children, right? Out of the house. Maybe they should come, right? They're on their own now. They're an adult. But I'm talking about the ones that are still, you're paying the bills for, so they're dependent. Hey, Dad, I got a decision I want to make. I'd like your advice. I'd like to hear it, and then I'll decide whether it's worthy of my obedience or not. (laughs) All right, there's a part of me that's like, then I ain't giving you my advice because you're arrogant. But if there's a, hey, tell me what you want me to do in this hard, dark situation and I'll do whatever you want. Is your heart drawn to a child like that? You don't love them more. You might enjoy them more in the moment. I mean, I like to help that child. I like to help the humble child. The arrogant child sometimes I stiff arm them a little bit. Say, go ahead, experience the consequences of your pride. See how that works out for you. Is that how we pray? Listen, so much of becoming wise is is not just about, there is James 1.5, if any man likes wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But there's also, the more you walk with Christ, there ought to be a sense in which you're becoming conformed to his image. Your mind is being transformed to be more like is. So more and more, you just know the right next step. You've tra- Hebrews 5.14 talks about training your senses to discern right and wrong. God's Word is not a GPS system. I wish it was. Like even a lot of times in Birmingham, if I'm having to go somewhere, even though I've been there a hundred times, I'll put it in my GPS. Why? Because I want to know the fastest way. There's two ways. I want to know the fastest way right now based on traffic. I wish God worked like that. Nolan, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning. You're going to do this, then you're going to do that, then you're going to do this for this long, then you're going to do this, this hard, and then, right? I mean, it doesn't work that way. It's much more like a relationship that you're walking, you're following, you're having to stay in contact. Another commentator said this, he cares about our willingness to obey more than our cleverness in figuring it out. I think sometimes we feel like, God, almost like we have to be some kind of mystery clue reader, some detective. <clears throat> it's so much more about the heart of humility, the heart of surrender, the heart of fearing him. Because those are the kinds of people he loves to lead. And then the third point, pray. Just when you don't know, when it's not clear, 
just be praying your heart out. Look at verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my afflictions, my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Okay. There's a lot there. Let me just comment on verse 20 and 21. When he says, don't let me be ashamed, I mean, that, that shows up in the Psalms a lot. You know what that, that's ultimately saying? is, hey, God, I'm putting all the eggs of my hope in your basket. Don't let me get to the end of the life and be like, that was a bad decision. Like, I'm ashamed that I hoped in God. I want to get to the end of my life and say, I'm so glad I hoped in the Lord because he worked it all out in the end. I'm, in a sense, it's saying, hey, God, I'm betting my whole life on you. Come through for me. It, it's real prayer of desperation. And then in verse 21 where it talks about integrity. I mean, what does integrity really mean? Really, in the Hebrew, the word means wholeness. And it's idea, it's just, it's honesty. I think it's Andrew Murray that says, you know what humility really is? Humility is just honesty. Humans, since the fig leaves, have been experts in putting their best foot forward. And 21st century, with all the social media, and especially evangelicals in the South, I think we are like super experts. We got it down to a science. I even know to confess a little bit of tiny sin so I can seem genuine, even when I'm hiding something else. Genuine integrity is all my cards on the table. Now, do you have to do that with every stranger you meet on the street? No. But you better have one or two or three people in your life that you're not holding back. Because if you're lying to everybody else, eventually you're lying to yourself. And then you're lying to the Lord. And then you are doing things you never thought you'd do. Just like David was. Application. We'll wrap it up here quickly. Okay. I want you just to think for just a second. Where do you have the most fear in life? Where do you feel the most overwhelmed and exhausted? Where do you maybe have the most doubt in your life that God is going to come through for you in this specific situation? Where do you tend to worry the most? Okay, and you may not have an answer for all these, but maybe just for one. Where do you maybe tend to worry the most? Like in this one area, I sinned so bad that it just, I don't know if I can recover from that. What should you do in light of all that? Do everything you can to be surrendered at a heart level. God, I will do whatever you want me to do if you will just make it clear. And let's just be honest, most of us don't start there. We have to wrestle in prayer to get there. Easier said than done. And where does it really come from? It comes from trusting his character. If, if I really, down deep, in the base of my heart, believe he's 100% loving towards me, he's 100% wise towards me, and he will 100% leverage all of his power for my best, it gets a lot more easy to surrender to that person, does it not? I was just at a place where you can do all these kind of rope swings and all that, you know, and my daughter and I were about to get on one. There was a buddy of mine. He said, I was at a camp last year, and they had one of these things, and a girl was on it, and the harness broke, and she died. 
I was like, thank you for sharing that with me. You know, I hope my daughter didn't hear it. And we went anyway, right? Because I'm watching and I trust people running it. But it's like, at that point, I had 99.9% confidence. This swing will not kill me. And I think a lot of times that's the way even we as mature Christians think about the Lord. you got a pretty good track record, Lord, so 99%. But i got this little tiny bit of doubt that I'm still... Con- so much of wrestling and prayer ought to be, God, I want to go deep in intimate knowledge, intimate experience of you. So I say, i got 0.0 doubt. God will come through. When will he come through? I have no clue. How will he come through? No clue. Will he come through in the best fashion and the best time? And it almost certainly will not be the fashion I expect him to come through and the time he expects him to come He absolutely will. And I can just relax and trust him. Now, one more verse. Flip over to the New Testament. Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> Mark chapter 14. I want to give you an example of this. Right? The hoping, the obeying, the praying. Mark chapter 14, verse 36. The Lord Jesus Christ, His famous prayer. And He was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me. Yet not what I will, but what You will. Do you see the hope he has in God's character? I know you're all powerful. I know if you want to, you can take this cup away from me. He's obeying. He's saying, hey God, but not what I will, but what you will. I will I'm surrendered. I will do whatever you tell me to do, even if it literally kills me. Even if it literally sends me to hell. And he's praying. He's wrestling it out, right? He didn't just pray this once. Right? He, he prayed it multiple times. Why? He never sinned. In his humanity, he was tempted as every way as we were, and he was wrestling with us in prayer to get the strength to get up off his knees and walk to the cross. So remember where we started. All right? In the hardest times, most of us have a twofold fear. Maybe I'm so sinful that I'll be cast off. I did something too deep, too dark, too bad. And or God's too distant, or God's too absent, or God's too slow to act to really help me this time. God's covenant love is best expressed in the Garden of Gethsemane at the cross because the Lord Jesus Christ was sinless and He got cast off. So that if I'm putting my hope in Him, even though I may have great and mighty sins still living in my life, if I'm genuinely hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll never be cast off. And the Lord Jesus Christ did experience the Father forsaking Him, denying Him pouring out literal hell on him. So that even when I deserve that, and I may be tempted to fear, what if God's going to forsake me now? Even if I feel forsaken, I'm never truly forsaken if I'm in Christ because Christ was forsaken in my place. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you for the modeling that was real and genuine in the garden, the way you wrestled in prayer, the way you meditated, the way you hoped and the way that you stood up and walked in obedience and surrender to the cross. Would you conform us more to your image? Lord, we want to be humble. We want to appropriately fear you. We want the secret counsel. We want intimate experience and knowledge of you. But when we fail, when we falter, when we doubt, when we wonder and question, is God really going to bless me in the best way and the best timing? 
Help us think of the cross. Help us look to You, Lord Jesus, not primarily as our model, but as our Savior. And may there be a real, strong, confident sense of hope in Your goodness. We pray all this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.